Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome into Season 4, Episode 5 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, we're bringing back an old tradition, even though I don't really want to. It's the Canucks Speakeasy Game Flight. I think a lot of folks may just be hitting that fast-forward 30 seconds button a couple times here. But Doug, let's take it away. The Canucks opened their season against the Edmonton Oilers. They started off with a 3-0 lead, but the Oilers stormed back and ended up winning the game 5-3 in regulation. Next up was the Philadelphia Flyers afternoon game. We always love afternoon games as Canucks fans because they always turn out so well, and it was going so well. Another 2-0 lead after one Burroughs and Garland with the goals. That seems like a long time ago now. Canucks fall. The Canucks then traveled to Washington to take on the Capitals and found themselves with another two-goal lead, only to see that slip away in the third with the Washington Capitals scoring four straight unanswered goals. One bright takeaway for the Canucks, Elias Pettersson finished the game with a goal and two assists. Canucks go into Columbus, take a 2-0 lead after the first period. Stop me if you've heard this before. 2-1 after 2, 3-3 after 3. Canucks lose in overtime. And it wasn't the 3-0 they gave up in overtime that killed them. It was the next play. At least Horvat and Pedersen had multi-point games for the Canucks. And we saw the first start of the season for Spencer Martin. Doug, that was a terrible game flight. I don't know why we do that segment. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. I, I I didn't think the game flight could have been as bad as it was given the first four games of the season for the Canucks. But obviously we'll get into that in much more detail later on in the episode. For sure. In this episode, uh, we do have a guest, uh, Brendan, also known as Jabbo underscore Vancouver on Twitter, will be making his hat trick appearance on the show uh, in his first one. Of this season, we got another great segment of Dan's feelings with Dan Mackles, uh, and then the usual stuff as well. We got our free pour, we got some just some general bullshit as well, and uh, yeah, yeah, Doug, you know it's been uh, it's been a week. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. I mean, I know most people are pretty down on the Canucks right now, and what I've done, and I haven't shared a photo with you yet, Pete, because once it's done completely done i'll uh, send you a photo but at my work i made a dedicated canucks wall uh because we sell tickets at work and for the guests coming in we took a wall uh near the entryway uh and i put it with the retro canuck colors the black the yellow and the red and we put the old skate logo up there and put some nice wood paneling for the v and then we'll put some snap frames up there advertising what games are uh, available to purchase from the front desk. And so, yeah, once it's completely done, Pete, I'll definitely send you a photo. So that's kind of what I did with my week. I, I built a, a wall dedicated to the Canucks at work. Uh, that's how sadistic I am. Maybe, maybe that's the problem. Maybe, uh, maybe it's like the, it's the shrine is cursed or something. Yeah, probably. And it is a shrine. Uh, how was your week, Pete? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was busy. 
a lot of sports watching, still enjoying this nice weather. Um, the highlight was probably that meetup we had on Saturday, though, with uh, with a bunch of other Canucks heads. It was a great little turnout. We had kind of a little bit of a last-minute meetup with Canucks Twitter, but I think we're going to do some more this year, uh, some more organized ones, but that was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, there was some old faces that came to the meetup that have been to the couple of the meetups before. And there were some other people that you and I have interacted with on Twitter that we hadn't met in person yet that showed up, which was really cool. Um, I also got to meet Dan for the first time. I know you guys did a bit of a meetup when I was in Toronto, but I hadn't met Dan in person. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, it was just really cool to get some fans together and, you know, some Twitter personalities together and drink some beers and, talk Canucks is even as bad as that game in Philly was it was it was just really good to to do yeah it's always fun getting together and having beers it's uh it's amazing how much more fun that is than just yelling at each other on Twitter all the time and speaking of Twitter you can find me on there I'm at Pete underscore gas and the podcast is at Canucks speak you can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn and be sure to feel, check out the playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. Uh, another funky jam will be getting added to the playlist at the end of this episode. And speaking of, uh, Doug, you edited the last one. Tell us about the last funky jam. I mean, yeah, I went with, you know, Southern Hip Hop Legends Outcast and one of their tracks from one of their seminal 90s albums, uh, Aquemini, and I went with the song Spody Odie Dopalicious. Obviously, I used the instrumental version of that song, but yeah, just a really cool song. I've been listening to a bit of the older Outcast myself because they were a band when they were kind of big in that era. I was never, I never really listened to, so I've kind of gone back and gotten familiar with their older catalog. And yeah, just a great track, and I thought it worked really well for the outro. And yeah, that was kind of my thought process. Super, super catchy hook. It's funny. I guess I've actually been listening to a lot of Outkast uh, lately, 90s Outkast, so kind of the same era as what you're talking about. Um, and I was never a Southern hip-hop guy, really. I was never, you know, like there's a couple of groups that came out in my youth. Like I know the Ghetto Boys were from Houston and Two Live Crew is from Miami, but never really got into the Southern sound too much. I was always more of an East Coast sound until the West Coast sound came along. Uh, but I was definitely more East West and not the South. And uh, so kind of skipped over a bit of Outcast as well. And it's been nice to go back and you forget after a while. You know, I mentioned this with Coolio the other week as well. It's just how much stuff Coolio had. It's the same with Outcast. Yeah. Like I said, I know that uh, album, uh, The Speaker Box Below, that uh, was kind of like their big breakout album into the mainstream hip-hop and again there were some good tracks on there like hey yeah obviously is a great track uh but that older stuff like uh Atelians and Equemini those two albums in particular they're like late 90s albums are really really good they got some really deep cuts on there and same thing I they I kind of skipped them back in the day and I've gone back and I've listened to those albums and got more familiar with them and they're great they're great albums and their catalog is quite extensive Stankonia for me as well. That's an album that I really like. Yeah, Stankonia is another one. I think that was in 2000 maybe or 2001. It was. Yeah, yeah it was. It was right uh, right on the millennia there. It was. That's, uh, that's one that I've had banging quite a bit in the brewery lately. Um, Doug, lots to talk to Canucks-wise. Obviously, we got to break down a lot of stuff. Uh, why don't we, before we get Brandon on here, 
Why don't we get Dan on to say a few things, and then we'll bring on Brandon. My name's Dan, and I have some feelings. Please say hello to Dan. Yo, give me something to Dan. Dan, Dan, Dan. Dan. To Dan. Dan, 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 Dan. To Dan, to Dan. Please say hello to Dan. I have a lot of feelings to today. Yo, give me <laughs> I am recording Dan. this shortly Dan, after Dan. watching the... Dan. Vancouver Canucks fall 4-3 in overtime to the Columbus Blue Jackets. The fourth consecutive loss that they have had to start the season, and also the fourth consecutive time that they have held a minimum of a two-goal lead at some point in that game. I don't know what to make of this team, but more importantly that I don't know how much time they can be afforded to figure things out. It seems as though the Goodwill Bank is depleted in funds at this time. Uh, You look at the sum of the parts that this team has, and for some reason, it's just not leading to results. So what do we equate that to? Are they just not as good as we think they are? Does someone have to be moved out of the core? Somebody big. And the obvious choices are Bo Horvat, Brock Besser, maybe somebody else. Maybe somebody that we haven't even thought of. Maybe there just are no real untouchables if we're looking at it objectively. But something's not working. And my question now is how much patience can be afforded to this team, which has yet again stumbled out of the blocks when that has been what has absolutely sunk them in the previous two seasons. I I don't know. 10 games? 20 games? When is that panic button going to be pushed? I don't know. Do you guys? So I think uh, what Dan is saying, I think this is pretty much what a lot of Canucks fans are feeling right now. Um, Why don't we grab Brandon here and unpack it with him and uh, ask him those questions and get things going with Brandon. I agree. Let's do it. All right. Joining us now, our guest for the week, we got Brendan on the line, also known as Jabbo underscore Vancouver on Canucks Twitter or just Twitter in general. Brendan, good to see you again. Good to see you guys. Uh, wish it was under a little more positive circumstances, but, you know, it is what it is, I suppose. Well, positive is, I believe this is your third time on the podcast, so that's the hat trick goal right there. So, hey, there, yeah, that's something. I feel, I feel honored, guys. <laughs> I mean, another positive, uh, the three of us, you know, with other people met up over the weekend and had beers together, too. So that's a positive, despite what the result of the game was. Yeah, me, me and Pete uh, hung around a little bit longer to try to really drink more to figure out, forget what that game, what happened in that game. Yeah, that was a long shift. I could feel Coach yelling at me, but I still kept going down the ice to chase after the puck. Um, <laughs> hey, we just had uh, we just did our segment with uh, Dan Mackles, Dan's feelings, and he asks a couple questions that are I think they're on the forefront of every Canucks fan's mind. So we we decided we wanted to wait until we got you on here to actually talk about them. How much patience is there for this team right now? Um, 
It depends on whether you're a fan or your management. Um, I mean, obviously, if you're a fan um, or some fans, you know, I, I mean, I, I myself tend to be more patient because I, I try to put myself in the shoes of, of what management is trying to do. Um, they're not trying to force moves, um, which I can fully understand. Um, you know, if you're a fan, you obviously want to see something happen. You see the same team coming back for another year. Uh, you see the same struggles with the same issues. Um, and, and so from, from a fan's point of view, I, I completely understand, but, you know, from a management point of view, you can't just make moves just for the sake of making them. They have to be the right moves. Cause you know, we know that, it, it, we know that fans, uh, if the moves aren't right, you're going to hear about it. So um, the onus is really on management to, to make moves that are right for the long term. I mean, I wish this was, you know, 2000 and, you know, or where you'd have Brian Burke in the middle of a season or at the beginning of a season, if he really didn't feel like things were right, you know, he'd make a trade. And a lot of the times it wasn't necessarily the biggest trade in the world, but it was a trade to, you know, kind of shake things up, shake that locker room a, a, a bit. And, and give the guys a, a, a little bit of a signal, hey, it's time to get going. Um, but in a cap world, that's a little more difficult. It's hard to pull that those kinds of moves off these days. And, you know, certainly maybe the moves that they might be looking to, 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 to make uh, aren't, aren't ones that are easy, especially with there being a flat cap. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think in this day and age in the NHL with there being a hard cap as well as a flat cap for the last couple of years because of COVID, Deals were already hard to make in that hard cap era anyways. You, it was really hard to make proper hockey trades. And then the fact that the cap has been stagnant for, what, two and a half, almost three years now, it, it's made it even that much harder to trade assets. I will say this, though. I do think that the management group and the coaching group actually are feeling the pressure a lot more than we might think, even though it's only after four games. I think the fact that Tyler Myers and Mikheyev both played last night when they didn't actually travel with the team to begin this road trip and they were both left behind in Vancouver and they were flowing out after the Columbus game or pardon me, after the Washington game, to me, that speaks volumes of maybe, you know, they're, they're really assessing what's happening and how bad and poorly the, the teams played that they're rushing guys back from injury and whether or not that's going to cost them, who knows, but. To me, I actually think there, there's a little bit more pressure for management on this team than we would see in the media. I would say I would say there's more there's more pressure on the coaching staff. Not that I think that they're necessarily going to to fire Boudreaux this early because I don't think that's what uh, what they're going to. I really think you know management's getting a look. At, at this team with some adversity um, when they took over Boudreaux was Boudreaux was already in place and you know things were starting to go well and really that team for the back half of last season didn't face a ton of adversity after you know I mean maybe that stretch where COVID was 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 there and the team was ravaged by that that was that was obviously some adversity but in terms of this you have almost a full club um, and they're struggling and um, you're getting to see, you know, how are they going to handle it? Um, you know, which players are going to be able to handle that in a market like this? Because, you know, whether it's fair or unfair, you know, this is not an easy market to play in. Um, not all players can handle it. 
some players struggle. I mean, you look at Jason Dickinson, he obviously struggled, um, goes down to Chicago and one of his first games gets a goal and two assists. And, you know, not that, not that he's necessarily going to keep that up, but I mean, I think there are some players that leave this market, uh, go somewhere else and wind up, you know, they take a little bit of a, a, a deep breath because you're kind of out of that box. You can then just kind of just play without actually having to worry, you know, about, 18,000 fans every night getting on your case. So, um, you know, I really think this is an opportunity for management to look at this team, see the guys and really the core guys and which of them are going to be able to handle it because it's not going away. Nate Schmidt, of course, uh, another guy that would fall into the same category as sure. Jason Dickinson. Um, so one of the other things to go in with all this, of course, last year, slow start, there it was a different management group and a different coach. So the other thing that Dan asks is when do we hit the panic button? And I've heard a lot of people kind of banter this around and look for me, I'm still on the, Hey, it's only four games. I'm not panicking just yet. I usually say by American Thanksgiving, you know what you got. And is that panic? I think that's too late this year for panic. So for myself, the panic button, I'd say probably in closer to the 12 to 15 games this year. I think it's a shorter leash. What do you guys think? Uh, I, I mean, I tend to agree with that. I mean, you can't, I mean, you can't necessarily wait to American Thanksgiving because American Thanksgiving, you know, as history has shown, is kind of that if you're not in, you're not getting in or at the very least, it's, it's extremely difficult to get in. And, um, you know, the Canucks had their, uh, had their up, had their uphill battle. And so I think, yeah, 10, 10 to 15 games in that area. I don't know, like, again, like, I don't know what panic is going to mean. You know, what does that mean? Is, you know, again, I don't think they're going to make moves just for the sake of making moves. Maybe you make a coaching move. I, I don't know, but in terms of personnel, um, you got to make sure that you're in the position to make the right moves. Um, you can't just trade away a guy, you know, just because you feel like it's going to be because, you know, maybe he can't cut it or he's not cutting it. If the move doesn't make any sense, if you're not going to make your team better in the short term or in the long term. So, you know, I mean, as tough as it is, this team may have to ride it out, even if they continue to struggle, you know, maybe, I mean, a coaching move might be the one thing they can do, because I mean, if you trade it, if your goal is to trade a Bo Horvat, but you know, what you're getting in, in, in getting back in a trade really doesn't do anything for you, then why do it? You know, what's the point of making that trade? You don't make that trade out of panic. You have to make that trade because it makes sense. And uh, yeah. last, oh, sorry, Doug, go ahead. No, I, I, I was going to say, look, I agree. Like you don't want to make trades for the sake of making trades. Um, you know, this goes back to the summer, right? Where I think a lot of fans thought there'd be a lot more change that would have happened with this team. Essentially, they've just kind of turned it back with the same club, add, added some minor pieces here and there to complement the core pieces, which again, on paper, I think this core is good. I think guys like Miller, guys like PD, obviously, Quinn Hughes, Besser when he's shooting the puck, uh, Pod Colson, obviously, in his second year. I think that this core is good, but for whatever reason, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's personality conflict, 
I don't know if they're already tuning Bruce Boudreaux out. And even if that's the case, to me, that's a bit alarming about the group. If they're tuning out a coach this early into the season who had such success with this relatively same group last year. But do you guys buy into the whole click thing? I don't know if you guys saw the comments Jason Dickinson had today about he said. And again, I know every sports team has clicks, right? It's I don't think it's like as alarmist as maybe some fans might be jumping on to. But he said that dressing room is very clicky do you guys buy into the fact that maybe there is just something awry in the room and there's two strong personalities conflict conflicting with one another and a bit of a quote-unquote power struggle um yeah i mean i, I w- would i be surprised if there was a click um no i i, I mean because again like i mean in any in any team's situation or in any group situation of that, that that's large where you've got that many, you know, it's, it's, it's professional sports. You've got a lot of strong personalities, a lot of cocky, confident people. Um, I mean, you're going to have guys that gravitate to, 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 you know, a, a group over another. I don't think, um, you know, as long as it remains professional, um, that's really, you know, what matters. I mean, I, if you ask me what I think the issue is i think it's a, and, and bruce boudreaux brought it up it's it, it is that this team is mentally not tough enough i think there is a, a mental weakness there i mean i think the an example and i and you know i don't want to pile on him I, I know he hasn't probably played as well as he had he would have liked but you know after that first loss to edmonton um you know there was the shot on the bench of uh, OEL having to con- console Quinn Hughes because Quinn Hughes was obviously really upset about the fact that they had blown that lead. And, and I understand that. I mean, that's fully understandable. You, you, I mean, that's a tough loss to have in the, in your first game of the season, but again, it's your first game of the season. And so your goal as a professional athlete is that is the player is to yes, be upset about that loss, but don't let it snowball. Don't let it push. Don't let it try. And, and really it did. Cause I mean, he hasn't, hasn't had, you know, a, a really good stretch of games since that game in Edmonton, he really has struggled and he's not the only one to be fair. And this is not just his mental weakness. This is a mental weakness throughout that lineup. Cause we've seen it, you know, you know, you don't, I mean, losing leads the way they have there, there's a, there's some, there's a mentality that's not there. There's something that's not right. Yeah. And the Quinn Hughes thing uh, against the Oilers is actually a really interesting topic because clearly there was that missed call against Quinn Hughes that ended up leading to a power play that led to an Oilers goal. And that's another thing I agree with you, Brendan, is that you've got to get over calls are going to get missed in every game and every sport league across the world. It just happens. Unfortunately, when you have human beings refing games, they're going to miss calls and they're going to miss something and you've got to overcome it. You can't lean in on that and use that as an excuse to why you didn't get the result that you should have got. If that call would have been called properly. And I, I think that's a perfect example of a reason why Quinn Hughes was probably also so upset on the bench because sure. he was probably still pissed off about that. No call. And, and I love the fact that OEL was consoling him and, you know, showing that leadership and saying, Hey man, like, yeah, it sucks. Yeah. They missed the call, but we got to move on. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, you know, the way, just the way they've lost games, you know, I mean, and it, it you, you maybe not necessarily in the Philadelphia game, but certainly in the game in Washington, you really felt, um, you know, when, when, when Washington 
tied the game really felt like the team was really tense. And so, you know, the, 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 you know, what ended up happening in that third period was, you know, they know they've got to go. They know they have to push and th- there's a right way and a wrong way to go about it. So rather than being, you know, smart and, and getting pucks behind their defense and, and forechecking, you know, they were making fancy passes in the neutral zone. They have a 4-3 lead. And I think I counted five blind behind-the-back passes. And I'm just, you know, if you're if you're holding a lead, you just, you know, there's a there's an intelligence about it. I mean, I know I hear John Garrett on the on, on the broadcast saying, you know, oh, you got it, you've got to force the issue. I don't agree with that at all. You don't have to force the issue. You've done your job. You've gotten the lead your goal now is to play smart because if you play smart that other team's going to have to force the issue and they're going to gift you opportunities if you play smart defensively i mean probably the best example was in the third period in the game uh in columbus on on goudreau's goal the Pedersen line was out there too long it's why i i always emphasize short shifts when you have the lead have the fresher legs and so Pod Colson and Hoglander were dog tired as they were getting off of the ice and they're just getting to the bench and Goudreau has like enough, enough room to fit it, fit an army through to gain speed through the neutral zone. No good team who, who can, who knows how to hold a lead is going to allow that you're going to be structured in the neutral zone. You're going to have your setup. So it doesn't allow him to do that. But because they were forcing the issue, because they were trying to score, which, you know, I mean, in reality, it's you don't need to. You just don't sit back. So the difference between sitting back and playing reckless, which I don't think this team has quite figured out, because I feel like they did they, when, when, they, when they're holding a lead, they feel like they need to go for it. Well, no, there's an intelligence to it that, that I think they're trying to figure out. Do you think that um, a, a lot of this could have to do with the core of the team, at least not having a lot of experience in big time NHL games? And we all know that there hasn't been a lot of Canucks playoff hockey over the years. You mentioned OEL in there. He's only got 25 career playoff games to his name, but I know he's got well over 800 games uh, as well on top of that. So he does have a, more of that veteran savvy leadership. But I mean, you look at this core, they've got the one taste in the bubble, but there hasn't really been a lot else. Do you guys think that this kind of contributes towards it at all? And, and having a couple different coaches now over the last calendar year as well. I mean, I'm sure it, 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 it would help. Um, but I mean, then again, if you look back, you know, you'd have, the, I mean, they did bring in, you know, the Jay Beagles of the world now granted, obviously not part of your core um, group, but guys that had been there, um, that were supposed to be, you know, part of that leadership that, you know, for one reason or another, I mean, in taking the contract out of it, I, didn't, I mean, there's no point in going back and looking at that now, but for, for one reason or another, just, just didn't work. I mean, I wish I had the answer. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm of the mind that, you know, the teaching defense is very teachable. I mean, I can't, I can't teach Curtis Lazar and obviously Curtis Lazar couldn't teach Curtis Lazar, who was a first round pick to do the kinds of things that Pedersen can. But what Lazar did 
did was he taught himself how to play defense, how to stay in the league, how to be a two-way forward. And so, you know, I think it's a process of getting the, the, the core group, Miller especially, because, I mean, as much Miller Miller frustrates me because Miller talks the talk, but he doesn't walk the walk. And the, the, good, the, the first Columbus goal, I don't know if you guys saw the video of that, kind of caught in no man's land, not doing anything. You know, like, it's just like, you, you have to get, and it's what, you know, it's, it's why I'm always so impressed with Daryl Sutter. Wherever Daryl Sutter goes, his team's buy-in. We're playing defense, guys. There's no way around it. And you're going to have to do it. Um, well, I mean, for whatever reason, it, these guys haven't bought in. Yeah, I mean, it's an old cliche, right? Defenses win championships. And you, you see it in baseball, football, hockey, basketball to a certain degree as well. I mean, you've seen these defensive juggernauts curling. Yeah. You know, it's true though. You're right. (laughs) Um, And I I think that's, what's kind of worrisome with me, at least with Boudreaux is that they need to work a little bit more on their defensive structure. They needed to work on their defensive structure when Travis green was still the head coach and they, for whatever reason, and I know the defense as a group. And, you know, if you look at the names on paper, they don't look like a great solid defensive group one through six or one through seven. But like you said, Brendan, you can teach defense and to know how to play with a lead doesn't mean that you're going to drop four guys back in the defensive zone and only have one four checker. That's not what I assume you're saying. And that's not what no, I, I, I absolutely No, but you know, you, you don't need to be getting cute with your passes in the neutral zone or in the offensive zone that are often are leading to these odd man rushes the other way. And, you know, I look at a guy like Thatcher Demko who to begin the year, his Stats, if you look strictly at them on paper, don't look great. But I don't think you could blame Demko for the three games that he's played for any of those goals. Maybe one goal. Yeah, maybe he, one. Maybe, maybe, like maybe, one. The goal, maybe the yeah, the short side goal in Washington. I mean, I think it's probably yeah. the only one. And again, I mean, like you know, I mean, you there was there was breakdowns. That's why. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I bring up the word structure a lot, and and I think there's a there's a misnomer about what that means i think when people hear structure they assume you mean we're going to sit back and track and it doesn't it doesn't mean that you know what you what you have with structure is a system in place that all five guys at any at any given time know they know it they know where they're supposed to be they know you know switches and and or whether to play man to man or whatever they're playing, whether they're playing more of a zone, whatever it is, they know their job, they know their responsibility, they know it to a T, and they're very comfortable in it because you, you know, I mean, because there's always going to be times in a game where there's a turnover. And I think where the Canucks really struggle at times is when there's a turnover in the neutral zone and they're having to get back into whatever their base structure is and they can't find it. And so they start scrambling. You know, and and so what what you what they need to find is a structure that those guys know. I mean, I know everybody likes to blame the defense. And certainly I'm not going to sit here and argue with anybody here that the Canucks defense is is where it needs to be to be a contender. At this point, it, it, it's not. Um, but it's not as bad as everybody makes it out to be, because certainly if you if any if you paid attention to any of these games, the majority of these goals are not on the defense. It's on mistakes made by forwards in their coverages or in turnovers or, you know, 
shorthanded goals or whatever. So you, you can't sit there and play in the defense. I mean, there may have been maybe one or two goals where I sat there. I mean, Goudreau's goal, I didn't like Stillman, didn't close out on him, but I could understand they left a gap and he was coming at him at a mile at, at miles an hour. And so, um, I, I mean, it's just finding the right system to get these guys comfortable. So when things do, when things do break down in the neutral zone or when they have to get back quickly, they can just get into that defense. They're comfortable in it. They're ready um, as a five band unit, because it's just too easy to blame the defense when things go wrong. And, and cause most of the time it's a unit issue. It's a problem in their structure and that's not just the defense. And right now, Miller and Hughes, second and third in the league in goals against, uh, being on the ice for goals against. I know they've the Canucks have played four games, while teams like St. Louis have only played one, so it's a bit of a skewed stat. But uh, still, again, it's not all on the defenseman. I agree. There's been a lot of just errant foreign passes and, and blind passes and terrible zone exits as well when uh, the Fords do carry it. Um, one thing I've wondered as well is... The coach and and the management, they, you know, the coach doesn't build the team. The management builds the team. And I, I've, I've been saying for a while that I feel that management has built this team in some of the, the old Rutherford models of a deep forward core and not necessarily, you know, a stud blue line, for lack of, of better terms. But do you think that there is any sort of disconnect then? Do you think like is I mean, we the thing is, is, though, like we saw for the last half of last year, Boudreaux seemed to be getting the most out of these guys. But do you think that? everyone is kind of on the same page and working with the parts the proper way or the way that was designed by the people up top. Um, Well, I mean, we know what Boudreaux's track record is a really good regular season coach. And I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to disparage that's not meant as a backhanded compliment. I mean, it's, he's a really, he's really got, had some great regular seasons with Washington and Anaheim. And I, and I think even a year or two in Minnesota. Um, but his issue has been when structure breaks down, especially when games are tighter in the playoffs where games are won a lot of the time, two, one, three, two, it's, it's, it's where he is a, as a coach has been, has failed to adapt um, I mean, because I because I, I understand what management wants. They want more structure. They 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 want uh, you know a base level where you know everybody feels comfortable. Just what I said earlier, and I don't think they're seeing it. They want to be able to transition, which I think they've been a little bit better. Let's be honest. The Canucks haven't had trouble scoring goals so far this year. Goals have not been the problem. So um, at the very least, they they been a little bit better breaking out, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but better. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I think if a guy like, cause I think what they saw was, you know, you had Mike Johnson coaching right. I believe right at the beginning of Rutherford's tenure in Pittsburgh and they were going nowhere. I think there was too much reliance on, on Crosby and Malkin to carry puck out of the zone, not enough structure. So Johnson gets fired and in comes Mike Sullivan. And Mike Sullivan being a disciple of John Tortorella, very structured coach. And then they saw the results there and not, you know, the Canucks don't have a, um, you know, don't have a Malkin or a Crosby, but the Canucks aren't a bad team. So I think they see that and they're like, well, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we're not quite as good as those Pittsburgh teams were, maybe 
not in the same, quite in the same ballpark, but we're, we're not that bad. So let's get some structure in here and figure out what we've got. And so, I mean, there might be some disconnect and, and I, and I mean, I just, I, at this point in time, if I had to put a, put a, a guess on it, I don't think Boudreaux's back next year. That'd be my guess. Yeah. I, I think Boudreaux is often considered to be a player's coach, not really an X's nose guy. I mean, he's a guy who knows how to motivate coaches, but when the game is on the line and you're trying to hold on to a lead, he often, his teams have imploded, especially in the playoffs. That's why he hasn't had a lot of playoff success. I do find it interesting, Pete, the question you uh, presented to Brendan and I, because Boudreaux made a very bold move last night by scratching Connor Garland. And, you know, there was, uh, I think it was, a TSN reporter, uh, Darren Drager, I think he was on with Sakaris and Price today, and he said he thinks it's just a one-off thing. But he also made a little comment about how he can't imagine Elvin and Rutherford would want Boudreaux to scratch him for any longer because then if there is any trade value, you're essentially tanking it by keeping him up in the press box. Uh, what did you guys make of the scratch last night of Connor Garland? Well, I mean, I, I think if you, if, if, if the decision came down to, and who knows, we'll see what goes tomorrow in Minnesota. Um, but if the decision came down to, it was either him or Hoglander. Um, I, I'll, I, I thought Hoglander in terms of what the issues were with the team, a, a little bit too much East West, but too much, you know, too many passes that don't make sense at, at certain times. Um, not enough, just straight North South hockey. I think that Hoglander has, was the better choice. Um, I think, um, I, I think when Garland is effective, he gets the puck off of his stick. He goes to the net when he's not effective. There's a lot of carrying the puck in the corners, a lot of stuff happening, but in that results in nothing. So, you know, I, and I didn't really expect Garland to be at, and I, I'd be surprised if he was not back tomorrow, uh, in the lineup at expense at the expense of who I don't know, but I would expect he'll be back, but, you know, I need to see Garland play more straight ahead. It's, you know, it's what he was good at in Arizona and we just haven't seen enough of it here. just trying to do too much, but not accomplishing anything. Um, I, I like Connor Garland a lot. Uh, I, th I didn't like that. He didn't play. I thought that was the wrong person to take out. I mean, personally, I would have shuffled some things up. I would have maybe taken Joshua out of the lineup myself uh, instead of him. I'd be surprised if it is more than one game was like you said, I mean, it hurts his trade value as well. If there is a trade, we can't pay a guy just under 5 million to sit up in, in the press box. I mean, the guy put up over 50 points last year as well. So let's just hope this is a one-off and a message from Bruce. Um, just one other thing with Bruce regular season coaching record, 633 win percentage playoffs, 478. So there is definitely a, a large gap there as well. Um, but yeah, personally, if Garland's not in the lineup tomorrow for me, that then there's, there's something more to it. I, I'm just hoping it's a warning to the team. And uh, also you're, you're right about Hoglander. I thought he played well, but I don't think, I don't know. Maybe I just got my Garland glasses on or something. I didn't think he played badly enough to, to go ride upstairs. Um, speaking of upstairs, we haven't seen Jack Rathbone yet. What are you guys thoughts on that? I mean, I, I mean, I said it last year that, that he's a guy with a ton of 
offensive potential that his defensive side of the game was where he was lacking a bit. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I don't see the point of just having him in the press box. I mean, you know, if he's not playing and, you know, and he's waiver exempt for this year as well, then, you know, have him play in Abbotsford until you need him. Um, having him in the press box doesn't really do much for me personally. I would hope we get to see him sometime soon here. I, I don't know. I don't know at the expense of who. Because um, who are you going to take out? I mean, your left side right now is Hughes OEL. I mean, I guess Stillman would be the option to come out. Although I don't think Stillman has necessarily played particularly poorly. Um, and then tomorrow you're kind of playing another sort of that heavier team uh, in Minnesota. So what do you do? Do you, I mean, is Rathbone the guy for that? Um, I would hope we see him sooner rather than later. though. That is, I, I don't see the point uh, of having him in the press box for 15, 20 games and doing nothing. Yeah. I mean, he's arguably the Canucks best prospect outside of LaCaramacchi in the system. Um, I'm surprised he hasn't at least slotted in for one of these four first four games. I think Brendan, you're right. Like Minnesota, they're a big, heavy, strong team. I don't know if that's the game you want to throw Jack Rathbone out there. You probably go with Riley Stillman for another game just because he gives you a little bit of that grit, a little bit of that edge to stick up for his teammates. But I I really hope they at least get Rathbone in for one game before they end up sending him down to uh, to Abbotsford in the AHL because the kid can skate. And I know his defensive play and defensive structure hasn't been good, but if you're a really good skater, like Jack Rathbone is, and like we've seen Quinn Hughes, you can actually outskate some of your defensive deficiencies. And I think that's been one of the biggest issues with this team for the last couple of years is the lack of speed zone exits and zone entries. And Jack Rathbone's a guy who it could check checks all those boxes for you. And that's why I think, you know, getting this team to play defensively as a unit, better with more structure will allow you to have a guy in the lineup who, you know, you, you know, may defense may not be his forte, but when you're playing well as a unit, when you have five guys who are capable of just doing their jobs, it, it, it allows him, it allows you to cover up from some of the stuff he may lack, but then allow him to be, a little more successful in what he is good at. And this team does lack mobility on the back end. Um, you know, I mean, really it's just Hughes. And I mean, I'd like to think that there's more out of more from Oliel, but he's kind of pigeonholed in a position where he can't um, playing with some of the guys that he's playing with. And um, you know, having Myers back definitely does help. So I think Myers has, has definitely got some mobility. Um, but you know, the rest of the guys, they're kind of, slow and, and plotting and, and sort of your typical stay at home defenseman. And there's, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I, I, I mean, at some point you got to get Rathbone in there. You got to, you can't just sit him there. I mean, he's too good of a prospect. And the last thing you want to do is piss him off to the point where his agent's going to be like, Hey, play me or trade me. Cause I'm getting tired <laughs> mm-hmm. of this. Breaking news. news. Jack yeah. Rathbone's yeah. agent. Yeah. I was going to say breaking news. The last thing we want to do is see, uh, like, because we've seen Jalen Chatfield go to, and now he's starting on one of the best teams in the league right now. So the last thing I want to see is, is Rathbone, them, them 
fool around with Rathbone to the point where he gets sick of it and leaves and goes somewhere else and that potential comes out. I, that's the last thing I want to see. I've seen enough of that. I've seen enough of the Gustav Forslings and and now Chatfield making his making making some waves in the NHL and getting a regular spot. I would I don't want to see it with one of our better prospects. Well, that's what I was going to say. Breaking news. Jack Rathbone's agent's going to be on Dolly and Dolly tomorrow. Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. That should and, be interesting. Gustav Forsling was uh, the guy I was thinking of uh, there as well. I mean, yeah, you, you can't have him just sitting up in the box. He's got to get in there. I mean, when you call up a guy like Noah Yulson and then put him over Rathbone as well, like for me, that's like now you're bringing in a number nine defenseman to leapfrog a guy who's maybe your number seven defenseman and, and play. It's, uh, I don't know, man. I know yeah. there's probably concerns about his defensive game, but I, his ability to move the puck is great. And I get it. You know, you don't want him. I mean, a heavy team. I mean, I understand in theory. But regardless, if Rathbone's going to be an everyday defenseman in the NHL, he's going to have to play against these teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it true. Really, it doesn't like you know he. You can't hide the guy. He has to learn. And he's either going to learn how to play against teams that are big and tough or, or he's, or, or he's not going to make it. So, you know, hiding him and sheltering up the press box because you're afraid of him playing against a heavy team to me, just uh, that, that to me, you know, as much as in theory, I understand it, like, you know, in practice, I just, it, it doesn't make any sense. Cause if you think he's part of your future, he's going to have to learn. Part of the future. Bo Horvat. Um, obviously, this is going to be a saga all season until he's either signed or traded. Um, Horvat right now, though, is one of only three Canucks who is a point per game. He's got four points in four games. He uh, is tied for the team lead in goals with three goals. Uh, he's also, of course, leads the team in faceoffs, which is nothing new. What's uh, What do you guys thought about Bo's play? I thought uh, the game against Columbus, I thought that was his best game. Um, what do you guys think? Uh, yeah, I thought it was his yeah, I thought the game in Columbus, he played quite well. I mean, I people didn't like the fact that I took him to task a bit of on the overtime goal, but that, that, doesn't, that doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, he played, he played his best game. He was effective. Um, you know, you score a couple of goals, which, you, which, you know, he can be streaky at times, but, you know, he's still a 30 goal scorer in the NHL, which is, which is nothing to shake a fist at. Um, it's so hard. It's so hard to know. You know, the thing is, is I think it, if something's going to get done, it's going to get done sooner rather than later. And I mean, sometime it'll be happening sometime in the next four or five months, because it's either going to be, they're either going to find out that JT Miller's not the guy they thought that he was, and he's going to be gone and they're going to resign Horvat or it's going to be Horvat. Cause I just, I, I, with the way things are going right now, I can't see them having both now. I just, I, I mean, more, the more I look at them, I'm just like, uh, this doesn't tend to make a lot of sense, but who knows? Watch tomorrow. Horvat will get an extension and I'll look like an idiot. <laughs> I got to say also Pete, incredible segue into the Bo Horvat conversation. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, Kudos to you, man. I'm just, I'm always on it. I'm not getting distra- distracted by watching the basketball here or anything. I'm paying attention to you guys. That's <laughs> yeah, the first part. Uh, <laughs> um, I will say this, Bo Horvat throughout his career has kind of always started a little slow. You know, he's been a guy that usually, he reminds me of like a freight train, right? It takes a while for him to kind of get his engine going. And he is a streaky player, but he usually always starts relatively slow. 
Here's the thing that I think is going to be interesting with the Horvat contract. There's more and more talk and more and more thought that maybe JT Miller isn't a center and he should go back to playing the wing. And if that is the case, then that actually puts Miller in an even better situation when it comes to contract negotiations, because if Miller is more of a winger and they start to deploy Miller on the wing instead of at the center position, I mean, there's lots of talk about reuniting the lotto line, if not tomorrow in Minnesota, definitely for the home opener against Buffalo. Do you not think that kind of puts the ball in Horvat's camp's court about contract negotiations? Because let's face it, this Canuck team, we don't have that much depth at center, especially if Miller isn't a long-term fit on the, at the center position. I mean, he has, yeah, he definitely has some leverage right now. Um, Miller, Miller defensively just either can't or won't figure it out. And, and, um, you know, I, you know, I've never, I've never taught defensive structure to an NHL player before. So I, I don't <laughs> know how easy or difficult it is, but, you know, I mean, he continues to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. I don't know if, whether it's just he can't or he won't. I, I, I don't know, but you know, it's certainly from Horvath's point of view, it's like, well, okay, here's my in. Um, what does that mean for Miller long-term? Does that mean you keep him long-term? You're paying a lot of money for a guy who's not going to be a center. Um, can you, can you, can you get a coach in here? You know, and hypothetically, and just, you know, I'm not saying that this is good, but I mean, can, can you get a Barry Trotz? Can Barry Trotz get him to play defensively sound as a center? I don't know. Um, but, you know, Bo Horvat's camp have to be sitting there thinking, okay, well, you know, this team's kind of struggling at center. And so we kind of have them up the, up the wazoo here a bit, but yeah, I mean, I would, I, you know, also, I mean, I, I, I think Horvat wants to stay. So, you know, the team has some leverage in that regard. So anyone's guess, anyone's guess, we all thought Miller was gone and, and he, and, and well, sorry, most of us thought Miller was was probably going to be traded, um, and it didn't happen. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Horvat. And, I, and it's only four games in, so we'll have to wait and see how things move forward before we can say, you know, where things stand and you know what a contract might look like. And talk of a rising cap next year, perhaps as well, if all the escrow is paid off. That is talk that it could go up. 4 million, which also helps Bo's case. I mean, the argument then is, of course, unless his team turns around, you're bringing back the same core, which kind of takes us back to the start of this conversation. Uh, I want to talk about something fun, though, because, yeah, there's been a lot of, well, it's just it's been tough. We're not, let's not kid ourselves. It's been, a, it's been a tough four games. One bright spot for sure, uh, you guys know where I'm going with this, has been the play of Elias Pettersson. Um, he looks like the player that we thought we had uh, during the bubble or post-bubble and what what we thought he was going to come out of and where we thought his potential was. What uh, what have you guys noticed about Pedersen so far? He's looked really good. He looks, he's, looked, he's looked engaged. He looks healthy, um, which I think is important. And really, I mean, one thing we overlook, I mean, he's playing this well. And the power play has not been playing well. So imagine what he could look like 
because I mean, at some point that power play is going to figure out. And I really thought at their in their last power play in Columbus, where they actually showed some urgency and got into the zone, set up quickly, and really were snapping the puck around quick. And and with that urgency, that they looked quite good. I'm thinking, okay, well, this is the this is the power play I expect to see. So if that power play can get get on track, and he continues to put up points five on five. Hell, even shorthanded, you got a you got a nice shorthanded assist in on the first goal in in Columbus. Um, I mean, you know, ninety points is hell. I mean, if you want to really go crazy, a hundred points may not be out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, the biggest difference to me this year with Pedersen is just his overall body language. Last year he would be on the power plane. He'd take a big shot and he'd miss the net and he'd literally look straight up at the sky or look down at the ice. He doesn't do that nearly as much. I actually haven't noticed him do it at all this year. It's like he takes the shot, he misses, he skates after the puck or he's pursuing uh, a, a, d- a defender who's picked up the puck. His just his overall body language is a lot more positive than it had been the last couple of years. Or the last couple of years, he kind of threw his arms up in the air because he missed a shot or a pass didn't go to the guy he was trying to pass it to. And to me, that shows maturity in his game and that he is kind of, you alluded to this earlier, Brendan, about Miller not walking the walk. Um, Petey is walking the walk. He, you know, he is leading by example by he, he realizes now that he can't be doing that because when you have that and you express that kind of body language on the ice, because a play doesn't go that way, or you miss the shot, it affects everybody and it affects your teammates. So to me, that's kind of, cause he's always had the skill. We know he's an elite level player when he's healthy and when he's firing in all cylinders, but to have that kind of more positive attitude when plays and, shots don't go his way to me that is a huge encouraging sign and i think the sky's the limit for him this year i do think he can get over 100 points if he can stay healthy i really do well he's playing big uh one of you guys said pursuit uh something i've noticed a lot too is he stays on the puck he's everywhere and he's not afraid to get hit or throw hits i've seen him do that as well he's looking like a more complete confident rounded NHLer, you know, he's a lanky kid when he came in and he seems to filled out more as well. Uh, only one of his six points so far this year on the power play. You mentioned he's got the, the shorthanded assist as well there, Brendan, but four of his points, including all his goals are at even strength. So if the Canucks can get this power play going, there's definitely room to, to go from where he is. I mean, six points in four games is still a pretty good start. I mean, that's pacing for like 121 points. I don't think he'll get that, but uh, you know, for, for now we can put that in the books, a 121 point pace for Pedersen. But uh, really though, if they can get this power play kicking, cause it, it has looked disjointed and very frustrating right. at times. Maybe they just new personnel. I don't know, but um, that power play could definitely use a, a little bit of love as can the PK. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the the power play I'm not really concerned about. You'll have your ebbs and flows, and you know the beginning of the season, like you said, you're getting you're getting used to some new personnel. Um, I mean, I'd like to see whoever's playing the role down low, whether it's Kuzmenko or Besser. The 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 tipping should be a secondary should be a, should be a secondary option shouldn't be your primary option and I think too often they try to get that and what I found last year is when that play worked it was based off of really quick puck movement 
and, and, and it really wasn't a primary option. So the primary option should be get your ass in front of the net, screen the goalie, and then if you see a soft spot and, and, and you guys are on the same page, you roll off of that into an, an attempt at, at a tip. And too often it's just it's forced and it's telegraphed and other teams know it's coming and, and it's easier to take away. You have to make it uh, a part of your arsenal that's, a, that's more timely than it is you know, a, a primary option. PK wise, I mean, who the hell knows? <laughs> you know, I watched that PK and I'm just like, you know, I mean, they're playing Edmonton and I'm like, why are, why, why aren't four guys down low? Why, why is there a, that big of a gap between your forwards and your defense when you're playing against the two best players in the world who like to, who like to, to create plays down low? You know, I, I mean, so I don't know if that's tactical or that's, you know, what they've been told to do, or if it's just them not reading the reading things right. And, you know, who knows early in the season, you know, hopefully they pick it up. It is again, it's only four games. I know fans are like, yeah, but it's a really bad four games, but it is only four games. You know? Yeah. I, I think the penalty kill hasn't been that bad. Like, obviously, you know, you're going to give up goals against, the likes of McDavid and Dreisaitl, like you said, they're two of the best players in the in the world. It's the power play. The power play has been the biggest concern for me, and it's the unit, the special teams unit that's really shot them in the foot. I mean, they gave up, they've given up two or three shorthanded goals, two for sure. I don't know if it's been three. And then my biggest issue with the power play is, is it's the same look. The only difference, it's the look, it's the exact same look. It's Petey with the shot on his wing, or they're setting up bow in the bumper that's it but it's the exact same look nobody's moving everybody's staying standing stagnant in their position essentially it's like work the puck down low you know what i mean make the defenders move as opposed to just trying to stop the bumper shot coming from horvat or the wing shot from pd that's kind of my worry they don't really have too many other looks for the power play and then the other issue is when the second unit finally gets on there it's there's only about 30 seconds left so they're not getting any ice time either so they don't actually have any time to actually build chemistry with one another and actually become a cohesive unit when the first unit isn't clicking because they're keeping the first unit out for too long at least in my opinion Especially when no, I mean, 10 of those 30 seconds is used to collect the puck and enter the zone. Yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 like I, like I said, I, I thought the last power play in Columbus was good. There was urgency there. I mean, there was a, in the preseason, I, and I'll granted it was against a dog shit. Sorry for swearing. Arizona team, <laughs> but there was one power point in that game where there was, there was movement. Guys were yeah. switching sides, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, is this a new wrinkle we're going to see? Because I think a lot of us have been watching them and the stagnation in that power play at times when they do get too um, one-dimensional. Um, I thought, okay, maybe this is – only to come to the regular season and thinking, oh, okay, this is not the way this is going to be, that it's going to be the same thing. And it's, you know, if you're, it's fine if that's what you want to do, it, it, but then there has to be some urgency then. If you're going to, if you're going to stay in the same look, you got to be, you got to show some urgency. You got to move the puck quickly, quickly. Just move it fast, fast. Don't have it on your stick too long. Don't be holding on to it and allowing that, allowing that PK to collapse on you. Got to move it fast. I mean, and for the most part, outside of that power play in Columbus, now they didn't score, but it looked really good. I haven't seen enough of it. 
Um, I need them moving. The, I need to see them moving the puck quicker because that's going to open things up. That opens up a backdoor tap and because the defense is kind of, or the PK is sort of all chaotic and frenetic. You, you, you got to move it fast. So the penalty kill ranked 31st in the league right now, 57.1%. Um, a weird anomaly. The only team worse than them right now, the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, they have the dead last penalty kill in the league. Power play is 24th in the league right now at 11.8. The only team in the league that hasn't scored a power play goal yet, the Columbus Blue Jackets, who uh, just beat us the other night. Hey, uh, Brendan, we got to wrap this up here. But before we go, uh, predictions for the Canucks game against Minnesota. Do we come back with a win? Uh, let's hear some score predictions for oh my tomorrow. God, doing tomorrow to night. <laughs> come on. Like, we got it. On the hot seat here. We got it. Oh all, all of us. I'll God. go first. Four, two Canucks. I'm going to say four, two Canucks. Oh my God. They're a two goal. Yeah. Oh they're going to be down two nothing. And then they're going to score four in a row. They'll be down two nothing after the first. Okay. I, I owe you a beer. If that's the, if that's all the right. case, I'll take it. Oh, Pete's God. writing that down go, right now. Go, He's go, like go a first dog. Go I'm going to say the Canucks win 3-2 in a shootout. All right. I I I'm just going to I'm going to say they win 5-4 in regulation that they'll have a they'll have a two or three goal lead and just managed it. Uh, I hope not. I sincerely hope not. I sincerely hope they figure this out. Um, and, and Demko's in net. So, um, you know, and not, not that Martin was particularly, particularly bad or anything like that. Cause I thought he played relatively well outside of, I thought the Goudreau goal was a little soft, but beyond that, I thought he played reasonably well. Um, yeah. So I'll go five, four Canucks. Let's, let's, Let's let's head to the season over with some positivity. Hopefully, uh, look at look at that. We're like we're going to be known out there as the the positive Canucks podcast because we all just picked the Canucks to win. Hey, look, they're playing one of the only other two teams in the league without a win right now in the Minnesota Wild. Something's got to give. Someone's coming away with a win tomorrow. Why can't there's no more ties? Us? No, no. Right on, Brendan. Thanks again for joining us, uh, folks. You can follow him on Twitter, Jabo underscore Vancouver. Great follow. Always got good stuff to say. And uh, thanks for completing the hat trick with us. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, go Canucks, I guess. <laughs> yes. Always oh, go Canucks. Oh, always a pleasure to have you on the podcast, Brendan. And I look forward to the next time we can meet up and share a beer together, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, cheers. Cheers. All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I want to talk about something I have not done yet, but I'm going to be doing this Friday night, and that's going to Fright Night at the PE. I haven't been to Fright Night in probably 10 or 12 years. Uh, I know you can get early access passes, so you can kind of skip the lines and stuff like that. But yeah, it's just, it's something I hadn't done, I haven't done in about 12 or 15 years, and I'm really looking forward to doing it. So yeah, I just wanted to talk about Fright Night and, you know, the spooky season, if you will, with it being Halloween. And yeah, if you haven't gone to Fright Night, or if you have been to Fright Night, I'd love to hear, you know, what your thoughts are about it, or reasons why you haven't gone in the last few years. 
think COVID might be the reason people haven't gone in the last few years. That's a fair call. <laughs> uh, for me, I just wanted to talk about a TV show again. Um, I've actually been watching a few sh shows uh, lately. There's some good shows coming out on Netflix and Disney, which are the services that I have. Uh, but uh, I watched, uh, I've only watched the first two episodes, Island of the Sea Wolves on Netflix, which is a wildlife wilderness documentary about Vancouver Island, my home turf. I'm very passionate about the island. And it's really cool to see it get some recognition for just how amazing the island is, and especially focusing on the sea wolves. I have a sea wolf tattoo on me, uh, which uh, is very important. But it just really shows a lot of the beauty of the island. Will Arnett narrates it, which at first I was like, yeah, I don't know, but it's actually pretty good. Um, but I've been really digging that as well. So check that out if you haven't already on Netflix. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 124, Season 4, Episode 5 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast is just about in the books. Thanks again to Brendan for joining us. You can follow him if you aren't already on Twitter at Jabo underscore Vancouver. And Doug, this is mid-October, and even though it doesn't feel like it too much in the city, but it is one of the best times of year for sports. I mean, NFL's in Week 7, the NHL is back, Major League Baseball is going into the next round of the playoffs, and the NBA returns tonight. Yeah, uh, we've talked about it, I think, at length on this podcast, about how much we love October sports, and this is one of the reasons it's our favorite time of year. Uh, basketball makes its triumphant return today. Which is great. Uh, I'm actually I've got the Raptors game on the background while we're recording this now. It looks like they're uh, in a pretty close game against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and obviously uh, the next round of baseball looks good. I believe the Yankees beat the Astros today in Game One, so there's that. I'm not really a Yankees fan, but it is nice to see Aaron Judge having this kind of historic year that he has been having. I'll take the Yankees over the Astros any day. I know a lot of people out there will hate me for this, but I got a soft spot for both the Yankees and the Mets because my family is from New York. Uh, so I kind of have soft spots for those. And who actually likes the Astros? I don't even think the Astros like the Astros. Great to see Zion back as well for the Pelicans, eh? Yeah, that's actually a big news. And even Ben Simmons, who obviously has missed an entire year, he's probably going to play in the next uh first two games or three games for the 76ers or sorry not the 76ers the New Jersey Nets so that's interesting two big names both former first overall picks as well with Zion Williamson and uh, Ben Simmons so it's good to see both those guys making their return to basketball as well and like any sport it's better when your best players are playing uh, you can follow us again online. I'm on Twitter at Pete underscore gas. Do go over to Spotify. Check out our playlist on there. The Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist where we put all the outro tunes. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.